Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Welcome back, Matt. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, Dina. Dina, how are you? I'm so relaxed. Now we can. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Don't sit and forget your next holiday. That's uh, the lesson I learned from going on behind. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we, we're hard into it because we've got quite a lot to do today. I think um, I put a post on LinkedIn around about the AFL and about the leadership examples that we actually draw from. Mm. And I think those leadership examples are it's probably one of the worst lead group of people you can imagine in the clubs when we look at Eston's performance with their coach Rutten after their terrible performance with drugs previously and being convicted in a court on it, you think they would have learnt about wellbeing and health rather mm. than using bywords like Adelaide did most recently, said player welfare is everything, mm. and here we have leaders in a club undermining a coach who is employed. And in workplace law, the way they've behaved would be a repudiation of that mm. contract, mm-hmm. which if he accepted, he'd have a very significant claim. I hope he's listening. <laughs> but my point about it is how dare people take people who are employees and publicly background and damage them. Damage, how you know, in a public listed business, you'd lose money, hand over fish, share value would crash. Yeah. Here, membership crashes, performance on the field crashes. How stupid it is, but how do you feel for this poor coach who is every day in the news mm. being told that he's not wanted? It's yeah. unusual stakeholder engagement too, is it, Andrew? Like to treat this bike in this way and then have it be so publicised just seems odd. I think. Oh, the, the football world is the living forest gum. Everybody, every, every, everybody <laughs> in the football world likes to photo go. Oh, I'm the most important person, even though I never played a game or I was a bum. And so instead of like good leaders stepping behind, so you would have expected the chair to say, "Look, this guy's a great guy. We really back him. It's been a tough year, and whatever was being done privately to be done privately." Yeah, but no. But in the football world, which has a bigger audience than federal politics in the media, mm. this is all part of getting your name out there, making sure you're not responsible, making sure your supporters find someone to blame, whether it's a player or a coach. I just raise it because it's awful. And as I watch this happen, I look at that coach and I, like I looked at the Adelaide players and like Eddie Betts and went, this is just terrible. Anyway, it's an aside, but I just want you to remember the football world is also an employment world. And if the employment world was played out like it is in footy in real life, Rutten would have accepted the repudiation, they would have aided millions and that would have been a huge brand damage and a great piece of litigation. Yeah. We're here if you need us. Okay. <laughs> On the anti-vax status, Matt. Yes, Andrew, lay the smack down. <laughs> you Wrestling fan. Sure Wrestling fan. <laughs> it's in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, it's we've had the High Court refuse special leg to appeal of the New South Wales decision, which really is the one that's gone the most through sort of the levels of the courts. This was the challenge to the New South Wales vaccine mandates that was dismissed at first instance, went to the Court of Appeal. They sort of comprehensively dismissed it. And there well, they almost was... spat on the floor as they did it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You yeah. know, they really sort of had absolutely no time at all to deal with the sort of nonsense arguments that were being raised by the anti-vaxxers in this matter. And the High Court, thankfully, have said, no, we're not even going to let you through the front door. Without even a smirk. No, not even <laughs> a smirk. No, no. So, I haven't read the transcript, but I imagine it's got some real no. pearls in it for sure. <laughs> all I want to say is this. So there's two types of mandates. There is the ones that come through government and there's Mm -hmm. ones which are created by employers. The ones that would be created by government have gone through unscathed. That's right. The ones who've been created by employers who properly consult 
take actions which are reasonable and across the whole of the organisation, yes. not individually, have won every single time in every single jurisdiction. That's right. Yep. Where they've fallen over is a failure to consult or they've told you they're going to sack you but let other people come back two months yeah, later. Yeah, the differential treatment. But yeah. the fundamentals about the entitlement to have a policy that says, based on risk, that you must have a vaccination, untouched. So for yeah. all the nonsense we read on the internet... That is just noise. It's so much noise, yeah. So it's great to see. Okay. Now, look, because Matt's back and he's sitting and forgetting, <laughs> that's such an inside joke. We hope at the time you get that because that's one of Matt's great lines. Um, probably in the last two weeks we've, we've seen two really interesting cases coming from slightly different places on the High Court's interpretation of what is an employee and a contractor. And that's really important for us because we're living in an emergent gig economy mm. for which there isn't a third category, but we think that will evolve. That's going to come But soon. at the moment what we're seeing is, and we've seen it with Startup and Entrepreneur, which is a large part of our business, and we've also seen it with the Deliveroo case, which many unions herald as their great footprint or wedge into the online service people. So, Matt, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, two really fascinating decisions here that I think show how courts and commissions are grappling with how to apply the reasoning of the High Court personnel contracting and the JAMSEC decisions. And the really key and fundamental part of those decisions, as we know, is look where the parties have comprehensively put their rights and obligations into a written contract. That's the document you go to to understand whether that person is an employee or an independent contractor. So can I just stop you there? Yeah, so, if you, so it may sound silly, but Nina's got a small business. She may. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants to employ Matt as a case. So rather than doing the half-page offer, offer of engagement as a contract, mm. she turned up and dumped a 50-page contract mm. agreement, which had everything that was contracted. That's right. At first level, you're definitely a contractor, aren't you? That's right. And effectively, that's what the Deliveroo case shows. So at the first instance, of course, the commissioner said, this was before personnel contracting at champ were handed down, said, look, looking at this, it's got all the multifactorial elements to say this person's an employee. But after those decisions are handed down, the full bench has a look at this again and says, well, look, you know, this Deliveroo contract, I mean, it's, you know, it's a 50-page sort of wad of text, right? But it comprehensively covers everything. You know, it is so detailed. It cannot be said that there's any part of the rights or obligations that falls outside of it. And that's the difference with Waven, isn't it? That's thing. right. So Waven has basically the bare minimum sort of written terms possible. The commissioner says, well, look, I'm going to find that these bare written terms, which sort of had some, you know, agreement about oh, this amount of money to be paid, you'll be subject to my sort of direction, but you're a contractor. That effectively, you know, it was only maybe half a page. It wasn't even a signed version of it, but the commissioner said, look, this is a contract. You know, this is where we start, but where we start is not necessarily where we end, where the document doesn't have all of the detail in it. And so in Wabin, it was very interesting because the commissioner did what I think is allowed by the High Court, which is <laughs> went to the conduct. You can tell we've had an argument <laughs> about this, can't you? <laughs> which is that the Commissioner went to looked at the conduct of the parties after the contract was entered into to give content to the terms of the contract that were missing from the written document and on that basis said, well, this is actually an employment relationship. And, and by the way, that's what the High Court says because Matt lives inside textbooks. <laughs> what I think the Commissioner did is looked at and said, this is so clearly bloody employment. Now I'll go and manipulate it. But the fact is that is the test. Go to it. That's contract right. is pure. Yep. Stay with the contract. Yep. Next step, if it's not pure, go to the conduct, look at how control particularly is exercised. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, of course, none of these cases dealt with step three, which is you've got the contract, it's conclusive, but that subsequent behaviour shows it's a different relationship. So it's, even though it says a contract, it's mm. actually employment. 
But then you've got to have a good lawyer arguing, don't you? That's right. Yeah, the High Court left that Go window that. open. <laughs> <laughs> they left that window open. But uh, we haven't seen many people really uh, jump through it yet. Yeah. But uh, I think we'll continue and, to see and that. that step three is really argue, well, that might be what's in the contract, but that was all varied once I came to work. That's right. The, the practical reality of it changed the written terms. So I think what the three of us have said, Nina's been quiet because she observed the argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a coffee and she didn't yeah, want to get involved get again. English breakfast tea. It's, it's, well it's not morning. enough <laughs> to do the 50 pages. You've actually got to go back to the old law and say, mm-hmm. how do I manage this? Mm-hmm. Because plaintiff lawyers will, yep. and union lawyers will eventually wake up, the light bulb will go on because yes. Matt's just told them how to do it. That's right, yeah. And they'll argue subsequent variations. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so yep. fascinating stuff. All right, changes of PPE, the Sunshine case, Nina? Yeah, so interesting case, which I know you don't think very highly of. We had a lot of arguments this morning. <laughs> Essentially, the University of Sunshine Coast has to place their nurses into clinical placements. One of them was the Queensland Ambulance Service, and there was a requirement that they have to have N95 masks and they have to be properly fitted. So the uni charged them $65 per person for it, and the regulator issued an improvement notice because you cannot charge for PPE, and they applied to the court, I believe, to have that stayed, and they actually won on the basis that under a subsequent legislation to do with education, they couldn't be constituted as the employer or the PCBU. Yeah, and what nonsense that is. So <laughs> the whole idea of PCBUs was set up. So it's, this was a definition that was first employed under the Queensland legislation, which yeah. subsequently came under the model, to get around the problems where multiple people had control over somebody. Now, control doesn't have to be, Nina, I need you to do it this way. It can be, you need a mask. So this is a nonsense case. It'll give people a lot of life to the idea that wouldn't it be good to charge people for PPE yeah. if you're yeah. not their specific employee but you're involved in controlling them, but it is bad law. And if it gets yeah. any further, it's really bad law because the truth about PPE is what, Nana? That you can't charge for it. And all those contracts which say, look, let's do deductions and everything are never lawful under the Fair Work Act. So please don't do it. Okay. And that's really the reason we gave you the case is to say moment of hope, I like <laughs> All right, I want to go very quickly to something that Nina and I particularly, because Matt's been away, deal with a lot of the time, <laughs> which is somebody... Oh, ca- <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, he's a bit slow. He's not coming off the ropes quickly. Oh, I know, I know. But he's getting up on the corner. Too relaxed, too relaxed. That's why, yeah. Where somebody sits in the middle of a performance discussion and they start saying things like, look, I feel this is really unfair, I feel I'm being bullied, mm-hmm. and they raise a safety concern not necessarily aware of the attributes they're seeking to protect the the workplace rights. But I think Nina chose this slightly older case to demonstrate how careful you have to be. So, Nina? Yeah, so this is a really interesting case because I've never seen a HR manager do so many things wrong. (laughs) But um, Remember, you've got two minutes. (laughs) Okay, fine. (laughs) Essentially, the employee left mid-shift after a performance improvement meeting. Uh, HR manager tried to call her to do a welfare check. She refused to take his call, gave the phone to her husband who said, look, she's never coming back, we're going to fair work. So two hours of that after that, the HR manager sent a letter confirming her resignation and even though the employee wrote back saying, I haven't resigned, they ignored it and pressed forward with it. So the union actually brought a case of general protection saying they had taken adverse action because she had proposed to exercise a workplace right to bring proceedings, which is the first time I've ever seen one of those cases, and Matt too, but Andrew said it's very common. Well, it's common in the lower form, which is bullying, I'm being mistreated. Yeah. So, But 
they like, can I just say the employer got smashed? Yeah, oh. both the employer <laughs> and yeah. the HR manager were found guilty, and it was just crazy not, because not like, sure they found guilty. They just elevate that to criminal oh, proceedings. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they got they got the smackdown yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. please. The lesson that we're trying to say is you'll commonly have people come, very rarely say I'm taking the fair work, but commonly saying, look, I'm feeling really stressed by this, I feel this isn't safe for me, I'm feeling bullied. Don't just plough ahead. Just step back and go, okay, red flag has gone up, what do I do? And then just... Well, yeah. the process. Yeah, just yeah, follow the group process. process. Yeah. We'll just yeah. ring one of us and we'll say, yeah. okay, yeah. take a 20-minute break, come back and say, look, you need some support. Yeah. Here's some EAP assistance. Let's reconvene now. Yeah, There's right. a whole lot of things you can do to stop this. Yes. But what you don't do is plough ahead with your head down and then be resentful and knock them on the head no. because you were thinking of a first warning that this is the sort of behaviour that drives you crazy. That's right. And if you don't believe that happens, it does because that's – that's often why we get caught. That's often why we get caught. Human nature. Yeah. Okay, now what we're going to do is something a little bit sideways because we've talked over the last few weeks about psychological injury. We've got some new guidelines that have come down about gendered violence. It's misunderstood. Gendered violence is often elevated to its highest form and it's yeah. seen as sexual assaults and physical violence towards women. But the idea of the gendered violence guidelines is to highlight but there's a lot more subtle behaviours that form part of gender violence. So, Nina, what's the guideline and what's the definition? So WorkSafe Victoria just released the guidelines a week ago and the definition is any indirect or direct behaviour targeted at someone because of their sex, gender, sexual orientation or because they don't adhere to socially prescribed gender norms and the behaviour creates a risk to health and safety. So like you said, it's a whole spectrum of different things. Everyone focuses on sexual harassment, sexual assault, but it can be subtle things every day, comments here and there, innuendo, just all sorts of things that are happening to women literally every single day that people aren't picking up on. And WorkSafe and the regulators and staff are saying, look, no more. This and it's actually issue. broader than just women. It's, it's yeah, people's orientation. Right, yeah. So that's it's much right. broader. And when you look around Australia, there's probably f- three states and one territory, I think, who, who've gone along a similar line of either discussing it, doing reports mm. on it. But I guess what I want to say is this is now what is reasonably practicable. Okay, yeah. so that's the thing I want you to think about. So this has gone from which once you'd only really prosecute the more severe forms in a that's discrimination right. jurisdiction to an understanding that these types of behaviours now have three jurisdictions they can go in. They can go into safety jurisdiction. They can fall under the bullying jurisdiction because mm-hmm. it's repetitive behaviours. They can come into the discrimination. And we now know because of the changes in discrimination. I'm looking back when I talk about the changes in discrimination <laughs> because I didn't write that down. There's been a number of changes in discrimination jurisdictions which increase the obligations on an employer. Well, that's right. So what it is is this, this talks about the positive. Was I right about that? You were right, Andrew. You were absolutely <laughs> right. So, oh, yeah. Oh, fine. There you go. Now we're really back, seen you for so, so back into the swing of things, <laughs> aren't we? Uh, yeah. What we're really talking about here is the positive duty to eliminate discrimination. So we know we've got that in the Victorian Equal Opportunity Act. We're going to see that come through very soon in the WA anti-discrimination. Yeah, Act. That's only two attributes. No, only the two attributes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most others have two more, like sixteen in Victoria. That's right. Yeah, Western Australia's lagging. Yeah, we've got the most in Victoria. Next of all, we're in WA. They're a little bit behind. You know, wait a while, as they say. Um, but yeah, really what this is talking about, positive duty. You know, it's it's taking those steps, that obligation on employers to not only sort of be aware of the potential for gendered violence in their workplaces, but to take 
proactive positive steps to prevent gendered violence from happening. And importantly as well, preventing that from happening in a workplace context more so than just simply from other employees. You know, this is talking about customer behaviour, contractor behaviour, client behaviour. It's the behaviour of anyone really in your workplace towards your employees that could be gendered violence. And you can see how this has taken on the risk profile. It's great that it's coming to safety because safety has gone, no, I look at risk, I don't look at the relationship. That's right. Yeah. So if you're a receptionist and bad people come in and speak badly to you, that's a really yeah. big problem. We're going to talk is. about that. If someone says something that's racist to one of our staff, well, we are going to respond to that. Mm. We're not going to sit back and go, no, we're not going to. That's because right. it would be unlawful not to do it. Exactly right, exactly because right. Because it's a hazard. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. And we know the nature of the risk and therefore, and this is the part I think that all of us are trying to talk about, well, yeah. I'm trying to so anyway. So can you put the slide up? Yeah. It has the duties that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. Safe's moved so rapidly. Yeah, she's made a lovely Look slide. at that. <laughs> so we'll send this out with you, of course, and you'll get it. But my point about all this is these are the duties and how they've expanded. And what that means for you is the once-a-year training doesn't cut it. No. Oh, no. No. This is, this is leadership behaviour. And it's leadership, safety leadership behaviour of identifying hazards in the workplace that relates to gender violence in all its forms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And listening to people to find out that it's occurring. So, in other words, saying, I think there's a hazard here, is there? What yeah. is it? Then actually applying, well, what was the nature of the conversation? Does it happen yeah. frequently? How does it impact upon people? Objectively. Yep. And subjectively, because workers' compensation is a subjective test. Yeah, and consulting with them about it as well. Exactly right. everyone is different. And yeah, exactly. And the perception of it can be different yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when we talk about our, our monthly catch-ups that most people have in work, you know, the very first thing should always be safety. And all yeah. we're saying is broaden the safety discussion. Mm -hmm. And if you do that and you do your annual training mm. and you're a generous and good employer and people feel safe to talk to you, you'll find out about gendered violence. The gendered violence lives where there's no trust and people don't speak up. Yeah, I don't yeah. Andrew, you know, you really got to get your people to understand what are we talking about when we say gender violence. So once you inform them and educate them, they're more likely to pick it up and I think you'll be disappointed to see what you might find in uh, your workplaces. And, look, I think this is a good way to swing into the last part of the subject because yeah, I've jumped the it. next slide. <laughs> next slide. Can we have the next slide? Are you moving too fast for oh, that? Oh, you just lightning <laughs> You can see, okay, is your workplace doing the right thing? Yeah, so this is a checklist prepared by WorkSafe as part of the regulations about just key things you should see to see if it's a socially inclusive workplace. And all of these are real basic things that every workplace should be doing. But on top of that, also socialising and normalising reporting this behaviour, making sure that the code of conduct is very clear that this is not acceptable. On top of like the not doing once a year training, but also not just having a bullying and harassment policy and setting and forgetting. Yeah, don't yeah. set and forget yeah. that policy. Okay, we've got uh, it in. There all we right, go. I'm going to jump around now. Matt told you a bit about domestic violence leave, which we've spoken about before. But what I want to remind you of now is all these things are looking specifically at the hybrid working place where more commonly than not, in fact, it's about seven out of ten people who work regularly in a hybrid environment mm -hmm. and they have particular vulnerabilities. And I want to remind you now about Nominal Insurer and Hill because it's a story which we just it's should not forget. Story, yeah. So who's talking yeah. about that? Yeah, it's just for me to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's such a terribly sad story, of course, you know, in that the two employees working for the same employer, both working in this sort of hybrid model in the midst of sort of the lockdowns of 2020, the male partner you know, murders the female partner, uh, you know, very early in the morning in the workplace. Now, there's a lot of complexity around this that makes it a little bit unique. The workplace is home. Well, the workplace is home. That's yes, right. That's yes. 
trying. This was that was a key argument that the employer tried to run to defend itself against this claim. Lots of unusual factors in this that the gentleman in particular had schizophrenia, but that that was triggered by a lot of what was going on in, in the at-home workplace as well as the workplace more generally. The employer was ultimately found to be liable for what occurred in that context. That the, the claim was held up by the the. Um, for the deceased? Yeah, the deceased. It's the dependence estate. So That's right, the dependence estate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so gonna, the point, of, I, I guess, and this is the whole thrust of what we're talking about today is the old method of HR being in charge of discrimination and harassment yes, and yeah. safety being in charge of safety, it's gone. No. This is an operational responsibility, a day-to-day risk assessment mm-hmm. process. Hill was a case which, you know, when, when we moved out and what we were doing, mm. where deliberate risk assessments were done and difficult questions were asked about the nature in which you lived yeah. and we were entitled to ask those because they went to the inherent requirements of you doing the job. That's right. But in our new hybrid environment where women are particularly exposed, placed under enormous pressures mm. and often have children and people yeah. they're caring for because that's been the way Australia does stuff, mm. they are all risks that land on that person in the workplace, including how people treat women who are at home working. That's right, yeah. Okay? Yep. Which is gendered violence, okay? So I just want to be very clear yeah. here about it. All right, let's kick on. Thanks yep. very much, both of you, for that. It was incredible work. And for Lockie and for Neith for all the background work on it, it was great. Let's get on with the problem. Who's reading the problem today? Because no one told me. Me. Oh, it was a surprise oh, well, for you. Yeah. I would have put a few extra nasty words. <laughs> Tanya was a civil engineer for Tempest Water Authority. She headed up a team of three engineers who dealt with managing water flow and infrastructure for the large orchid irrigation orchard, district. Orchard, not orchard. Fine. All right. <laughs> This is bullying, by the way. This is just the second instance. Tanya regularly went on site to overcome (laughs) geographical and geological impediments. The guy on site often pushed back against her design works, deliberately ringing men who reported to her to double-check her directions. They would also make jokes at her expense, such as, you know there are snakes here, love, hardly a place for you, and not sure the farmers will be told what to do by a woman. Nadia told her boss, Raymond, about what was happening. He was head of engineering and on the executive board. She also explained she needed great flexibility around caring for her school-aged kids as her husband was a FIFO worker. Raymond said she had signed a contract specifying her working hours, which needed to be the same as when everyone else works. He added that he didn't have these problems with men when, in fact, Nadia knew that there were men who were given some flexibility for football training during the season. Nadia realised the current job was just unworkable for her. The jokes were no longer funny and she dreaded going on site. She couldn't sleep and was struggling to function, drawing more criticism from Raymond when she made mistakes. She has no family support and the kids were starting to play up when they had to be dropped off early and stay late at school. Raymond was sick of Nadia taking days off to care for the kids when sick. There you right. go. Okay, I don't know why Tanya became Nadia, so. <laughs> But there must be a reason for it. She keeps fiddling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, Censorship, Andrew. Yeah. Okay, well, the 60 seconds starts now. Now, what you do with the QR code? You scan yeah. the QR you code. You scan the QR code. Yeah, you don't yeah. download Slido, do you? No, no, you but don't. But you could, couldn't you, if you're old like me? I su- well, I suppose, well, yeah. more than the 60 seconds. Yeah, I was just saying, you have to go to the App Store and then download the app. Then install the double click, don't yeah. you? Yeah, double click. Well, you have to double click. That's yes. true. Yeah, you got to get your face ID. You got to do all these yeah, parts. No, the IT guys told me that. Well, yeah. yeah, I've got a list of things to do to download now. <laughs> like a checklist. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's too easy to get you in. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's nice. Of I, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Dinosaur, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pick up phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, which one? Turn phone on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the red phone. 
Matt's not here. <laughs> <laughs> With the nuclear codes. No, Matt's not here, sorry. I'm not checking them in uh, Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI's got those. <laughs> All right, here we go, guys. We are ready to fly. So the first question is, if Nadia resigns, is it a constructive dismissal? Now, we have set Matt up here. What do you think, yeah. what do you think then? Look, I think she should be able to make one because you basically set up a situation she should be able to make one. where Which it's unsustainable. Would she succeed, though? No, well, you guys don't think so, but I think she oh. should have grounds. So what's she got grounds? Yeah. I don't doubt that. Matt. She's got grounds, <laughs> but the difficulty is really is she's not exhausted the other alternative options, you know, really for constructive dismissal. It's got to be, you know, what are the other conduct. alternative options? Well, I mean, she's made the complaints. We've got nothing in this fact scenario to say that she's taken any sort of more formal steps, whether there's a grievance policy, whether any you know, there's some, whether she's advocated internally for anything of that sort of nature. So a commission would look at this and say, well, were you left with no reasonable choice but to resign? Possibly not. And so I think it's arguable and that's probably where we're going to get into some difficulty for yeah. her here. So it's just a very high threshold. It is. It's a really high threshold. Conduct or course of conduct that leaves with no reasonable uh, alternative. Yeah, it's so I agree with Nina. It's a good argument and we ran one a few weeks ago where the argument was more compelling. What I want you to think as employers in this is, do you really want to be in this position? That's yeah. the thing. You still have to fight it. It's just, it's yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. when we look yeah. at what happens next, you start to realise that's the least of your problems. Yeah. yeah. So question two, if Raymond starts performance managing Nadia on her attitude and reluctance to attend site, could you make a successful workers' comp claim? Can I just say she's already able to make a successful yeah. workers' comp claim? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so she's yeah. going to win that claim and if yeah. she goes off on sick leave and never comes back, she's going to win it hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. So, you know, water authority, well, let's just say, just say that it's a, a regional water authority, so it's turning over, has a remuneration of around about 30 or 40 million that's 300,000 compounding three years' time. That's a million-dollar claim. If you're in New South Wales, for instance, with a five-year liability period, it could be more. Yeah. And that's all for saying, look, could you start half an hour later? Yeah, oh. half an hour short of lunch or maybe you want to come back and you can do this bit from home. Yeah. You don't have to be here. Or just yeah. treating her the same as everyone else. Well, that's the key. Well, that's, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I missed that bit. Yeah, that's right. The football <laughs> yeah. training. The football yeah. training. Well, that's reasonable. Okay, <laughs> no, next question is, is the behaviour by Raymond and the Water Authority in breach of safety law? Yeah, definitely. But isn't this, this is the gendered violence part, isn't it? Mm. Okay, there's some really obvious low-level jokes. What I want you to understand is jokes aren't funny. <laughs> jokes like that sort of stuff, they're just not funny. No, that's right. Yeah, it's part of Australian culture that you can say stuff like that and guys sometimes think, get yeah. over it. Yeah. But the fact is if we look at women's risk profile compared to men, it's because of that behaviour. So yeah. Nina, when she leaves for the day to come to work and gets out to get in a bus, will actually check it safe to come outside the house Sitting in a bus, make sure she's sitting in a safe place. Matt and I'll walk out to get in the bus. Well, I'll never do that. But if we did, <laughs> we'd just walk outside, <laughs> sail over to the next door neighbour and hop in the bus. We'd have no sense of risk yeah. around it because nobody makes those jokes at Matt and I. But it's more than that too. Like as soon as she raised that it was a risk to her, they're breaching their duties by not going anything further, doing anything further. Yeah, they're on notice so of it, yeah. Yeah, so it's the two layers to it. Oh, no, and in Victoria horrible. at that stage, so are the officers on liability. Yeah. 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 So, Raymond definitely. Yeah. Well, once Raymond knows his, his brethren, because they'll all be men there. <laughs> I thought that was a Christian <laughs> brethren. Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't, Matt. Okay, so, yes, it's 
absolutely clear breach of primary duties. Because of Raymond, he's also got obligations to sit under Section 144, mm -hmm. obligations of due diligence. In every other state and territory, all officers are on liability because yep. they ought to know about mm -hmm. it. Yep. It's quite serious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And now, it happened now, to her. They're yeah. industrial manslaughter for sure. And remember, yeah. now with the, the Victorian guidelines, they're reasonable practicability, but they can be drawn upon by any government yep. regulator to say, well, I know this other state, but the content of our duty is identical to their duty. Yeah. I can take this information. Yeah, as knowledge of what you should do. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So for those of us watching this show outside of um, Victoria, what we're talking about is just as relevant. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Except in Western Australia with only have two attributes. <laughs> no, sorry, that's not true. They have four. The next question is, is the action of Raymond the Wood Authority discriminatory? Oh, clearly. Absolutely. It's well, don't, don't be treatment. Yeah. I, wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's unfavourable treatment on the basis of the, the protected attribute. It's differential treatment on the basis of the protected attribute. It would be direct discrimination under either yeah. state-based EOA or under the SDA very clearly. Yeah. And if you didn't have a lot of money and you want to get it done quickly, it's a great adverse action claim. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 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 like that's, yeah. And that's what people are doing, particularly now as the damage is starting to go up in adverse action. Yes. You start to mirror what's in discrimination. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there you go. And the important thing is in discrimination and in adverse action, you can go after Raymond. Yes, that's right. You can, okay. yeah. Unfair dismissal, yep. you can't, but in the other two you do. Yeah, and you always, can. the plaintiff's lawyers always do to make settlement quick. Yep. Guys, that was a lot of stuff to get through. Mm. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Don't oh, forget to like yeah. it. Yeah, like, react, 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 react. 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 react.